Hey everyone, welcome back to Life is Love School. My name is Yumei Chang. Today we have an unusual episode. As some of you know, I run Life is Love School to coach adult survivors of childhood trauma essential skills to live a happier and healthier life. And we have a tribe membership program that's specifically for women that are on the journey of healing and learning how to love themselves more. So today in this episode, I will share a question and answer with a tribe member who has graciously allowed me to reshare her question. I find this question very interesting and I did a video post for her. I hope you enjoy it. Hi everyone, so here is the response that I provided the tribe member. I did shorten her question a little bit, both for clarity and for privacy reasons, but otherwise it's completely exactly as she written it. So here's her question. She said that being part of this amazing group has allowed her to see how so many of the ladies in a group have had a lot of success in their career life. She finds herself in awe of everything and asking, how did these ladies believe in themselves enough to take risk? She said that she was taught that because she came from a broken family, because she's not white, because she's not rich, because she's a girl, because she's too nice, because she struggles with mental and physical health, that she would never be taken seriously and she should consider herself lucky if she could get any job. She said that her mom used to tell her, you don't need a fancy job, just get something stable. So even though she received honor standings in college while paying for her own way, she still felt like a fraud. She did not take up her professor's suggestions to continue with an advanced degree. She felt lucky to have finished that far, so she should get out before she fails and before it gets too expensive. And later, she also purposely chose job where she knew she was overqualified because it would ensure that she could do it. She said that her family convinced her that all she ever achieves would due to her charisma and not because she was intelligent or able. So her question to the group and for me is, how did you all find the confidence to believe that you could do what you wanted to do? She says that she feels like she's still living within the limits placed on her and that now she's in her 40s with children, she's not sure if it's too late. This is such a great question and I think many people struggle with the same thing, especially if we suffer complex trauma. And the rest of the, the presentation, I'll explain why. Before I do that, I wanted to bring up a quote by philosopher in the 19th century, Soren Kierkegaard. So his quote is a bit funny, but I think illuminates why stumbling or spending too many cycles and trying to decide what is the right thing to do is ultimately not fruitful. Because no matter what decision you make, at some point, you will wonder if you made a wrong decision. So he says, marry and you will regret it. Don't marry, you will also regret it. Marry or don't marry, you will regret it either way. Hang yourself, you will regret it. Do not hang yourself and you will regret that too. Hang yourself or don't hang yourself, you'll regret it either way. Whether you hang yourself or do not hang yourself, you will re regret both. This gentleman is the essence of all philosophy. It's kind of a funny thing that he's kind of poking at it, but the truth is there's just no perfect choice. No matter what choice you choose, it just gives you a different set of pros and cons. 
And knowing this, I hope, frees you from overthinking the decision. If you decide that you really want to go back to school or do a different career, then do that. Or if you feel like your children need you at this point and that you're better staying at home to take care of them, do that. Knowing that nothing's going to be perfect, and at some point in time, you're going to wonder if you should have gone on the path not chosen. But just know that everybody struggles with this, and how you feel is definitely not unique. Now, your question as to why some of us are able to forge a path and maybe choose careers that seems to take a lot of risk. I think for many of us, we're not necessarily driven by the dream, but we're driven by fear. So I'll just give myself as an example because I grew up with parents that were both emotionally and physically abusive. It was always very clear to me that the monster is at home, and I better do everything I can to run as far away from the monster at his home as possible. Now, for some. Other people, they were raised by parents who told them that the scary stuff is out there in the world, and to keep yourself safe, you're better off staying at home and not taking too many risks. So, as children, we formed a belief about what we should do based on how we interpret the events back then. There is no right or wrong. We all did the best we can given our own unique circumstances. The interesting question, though, is now that we're an adult. And assuming that we're no longer in a dangerous place, why do we still feel so scared? This goes to the analysis of what trauma does to our brain. So when we are constantly put under enormous stress that overwhelms our ability to handle it, and is more than what a child's resource has to process it. It triggers the overgrowth of our amygdala. So as our fear center becomes hypersensitive. And so, fear that people who grew up in normative families feel, we just feel it a lot more. So, for example, the fear of failure, the fear of the unknown, the fear of change—all this comes with taking steps that are different from what we are doing today. So, if you look down this list, the fear of success—that's why we sabotage ourselves because we feel like good things cannot last. Fear of rejection is another common fear. We're afraid of what other people might think because when You grew up in a family where it's not safe to be different. Then you learn to kind of moderate other people's opinions, what other people think of you. You're afraid of being embarrassed. You're afraid of making a mistake because mistakes are punished harshly instead of being viewed as a growth opportunity. Instead of being encouraged, you're also afraid of losing control or feeling trapped. So that plays into, hey, what if I made a wrong choice by going this route versus that? So it is no wonder that many abuse survivors have a lot of trouble handling ambiguity, handling scenarios that they've never experienced before. Because of course, if you have not done something before, your chances of not doing it well the first time is quite high, right? It's expected that you are going to stumble as you learn something new, but that can be very frightening for those of us that suffer trauma. So how you feel again is very normal. The question is, what do you do with that fear? Years ago, when I was working at Microsoft, I remember having a conversation with one of my colleagues, and the question came up as, "Who was the previous CIO who literally just left maybe a year or so ago?" And neither of us could remember it. That, to me, was a stark wake-up moment because, in my young mind, I always thought that significance comes from the role. 
that if one day I were to also become the CIO or the VP, that I would finally be in a place where I would matter to people that there's value. But at that moment, it was just a wake up to realize that nothing lasts. If you peg your self-confidence, your value to the role that you have, one day it will be gone. So people retire. And if you peg your sense of self to being a mother, one day the kids will leave and form their own family. Then who are we then? So the sense of value has to come from within and not pegged to anything that is a role that is just temporary. It doesn't mean that what we're doing does is not important, but it means not tagging your own personal value to it. Simon Sinek, who's an author, he once told a story about an undersecretary of state who was giving a talk in the middle and in the middle of the presentation, he interrupted himself. He said, you know, last year when I was here, it was before I retired and I flew first class. And when I was at the airport, somebody came with a limo to pick me up. They took me to the hotel, checked me in, hauled my luggage into the room. The next day, they sent another limo to pick me up, take me to this conference room, and they pour me a cup of coffee in a nice ceramic cup. Today, I came to this same conference to give a talk, but I'm retired. I flew in coach class. Nobody came to pick me up. I held a taxi, went to the hotel myself, checked in myself, and the next day, I hailed another cab to come here. And when I asked for a cup of coffee, they pointed to a coffee machine where the only option is a styrofoam cup. And he raised his cup and he said, the ceramic cup was ever only for the role. It was never for me. So this is yet another illustration that even though you may feel it's important what career success you have or not have, ultimately the role is just a role and it's not you. So also don't overthink whatever you do. I would highly advise really going back into your heart to say, what would make my soul happy and do that. In Business Insider, they had an article about the five things that people regret most on their deathbed. And if you look at the list, none of it says that I wish that I have a bigger career or that I work more hours. The list has things like, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life other people expect of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I wish that I had let myself be happier. So this is the things that people who are running out of time say that they wish that they've done. I think it's very illuminating for those of us that still have some time left. Now, the feeling that you got to get more or chase more, chase the next promotion or more money, it stems from the feeling that we're telling ourselves, I'll hope feel okay when or that I give myself permission to finally be happy and relax when. So that sense of chasing is an illusion, as in it's the analogy is if you're a donkey and somebody hangs a carrot in front of you, so you keep walking, thinking that one day you'll finally reach the carrot, but of course the carrot just keeps moving. And for many people, that's the life that they live, and they feel like they're in this rat race that just keeps going faster and faster, and they're stressed out, exhausted, but they can't jump off. Alternatively, you could also choose what you do based on what is satisfying to your soul, what you think is going to make a difference in the world, etc. So 
There is a running away from fear and trying to prove yourself because you feel like you have no value, or it's coming from a place of abundance and love and to say, I want to realize a purpose. I want to elevate the world. So it's coming from very different places. And I would also encourage you that when you're thinking about these big life choices, to choose the latter, to think from the point of my soul and what would actually make me happy versus what I think will earn me more approval from society. Now, a lot of people who have this mindset of chasing and that I can relax when they end up retiring and realize that retirement is not all it's meant to be. They say that about 90% of people in this world are unhappy with their job. And many of these people, if you talk to them, they have this big fantasy that they will finally be happy when they retire. But so many people realize that retirement is a letdown. All of a sudden, there's nothing to do. If they had a big job, now they're just a normal person walking on the street. And so it's not surprising where you see a lot of retirees feeling very depressed. You can only golf for so many days before you feel very bored. And they end up in gambling situations or alcoholics and in deep depression. In brain neuroscience, there's something called a reward prediction error, which is the difference between how good you think an experience would be versus how good it actually is. And when there is a big delta, then people feel a strong letdown. And sometimes it can even lead to depression. Our life really is a game. That's why they say this is the game of life. When we're born, we're thrown into some random character, random race, random gender, render, random intelligence, you know, physical body, and our family of origin. None of that is our choice. And then we spend the next 15 or 20 years or so in tutorials, trying to learn basic skills to navigate life. And then many of us then start to chase this, chase that, get a house, get a job, get a promotion. And then we're looking for retirement. And then after about 80 years of playtime or 29,000 days, it's game over. So when you look at it from that perspective, that life is a game, then it pays to not make it too serious, but to really just enjoy the game for the heck of it. Alexander the Great, as many of you know, is one of the world's biggest and most important conquerors. And what I find most important about or interesting about Alexander the Great is that when he died, he asked people around him to do three things for him. Number one is he said, I want my coffin to be carried by my physician because I want people to know that even somebody as important and as powerful as me cannot conquer death. And then he said, my second wish is that I want the path to my graveyard be paved with the wealth that I earn, all the gold and jewels just strewn it along the path, because I want people to see that none of this stuff can go with me. And then he said, my third wish is that I want both of my hands to hang outside of my coffin so that people can see that I came to this world empty handed and this is how I leave as well. So I hope that this would also give you some relief that no matter what people can put on their resume or in their bank account, none of it matters in the end. And this life is really about realizing your purpose, living authentically, and doing what makes you happy. 
when you stumble with choices, right? When we feel like, oh my gosh, should I go left? Should I go right, north or south? It's very similar to the experience we have in the shopping, like a supermarket shopping aisle. For example, here I have a image of the shampoo aisle. People have choices from like a hundred different shampoos, where some are for fine hair, some are for thick hair, some are for curly, some are for straight. Some have this essence, and some smell this way versus that. And the more options there are, the longer it takes for a shopper to buy something, and they are also less satisfied. How often have you been in a restaurant where the menu is just super long, and no matter what you choose, you always feel like maybe I should have ordered this other dish instead? This in psychology is called a paradox of choice. So it used to be that marketers believe the more choices we give consumers, the better that they will get more sales, etc. But it's actually the opposite. So they've done a study where they have a sample table with 24 choices of jam versus six choices of jam. It's kind of a side by side study, and they noticed that with the 24 choices of jam, they attracted a lot more samplers, but People bought less. They took longer to decide, and they were less satisfied with their purchases. In the six choices of jam, even though they attracted a smaller crowd, they actually sold more total jams, and people were much happier with their choices. So this is why there is a graph, and the subjective state of happiness increases with a small increase in the number of options, but drops dramatically if the number of choices increases. You can understand this by thinking about how few of us like the idea of arranged marriage when we have absolutely no choice. So having no choice is not good. We don't like that. However, having too many choices, as in the world of online dating and Tinder in particular, to swiping left and swiping right, most people are not happy either. Because no matter what option we choose, we always have a fear of missing out on some other better candidate. So having too many choices is not good, and it does not make people happy. And that's why fewer choices is often better because it improves the quality of your decision making. It's a less stressful process of making the choice, and people are more satisfied with the decision after they made a decision. So for you, if you're thinking about should I, you know, do this or do that, sometimes just simplifying it is better. Not presenting yourself with too many options. If it comes to schools, narrow it down to maybe three or so, and not twenty, because the shorter list would actually help you make a choice. And just know that there is no absolute right choice. Making a choice a lot of times is better than not making a choice and living in limbo. The other thing to consider is that the sense of self and identity. A lot of times, when we live with a strong sense of "this is me," I care about how people perceive me, what are people thinking of me, that creates a lot of stress, and we end up living a life that we think would make other people happy or would impress other people, and we're actually not very happy. So, in Buddhism, there is a concept called anatta in Pali, which is Translates to、uh, in English called no self, and they say no self, no problem. So to put this into practice, you can imagine asking yourself a question, which is, what if I have no name? And I used to do this exercise sometimes at work when I'm in a conference room. In 
conference situations, a lot of times people care a lot about how other people are perceiving you. There's a lot of power posturing, etc. And I would regularly just ask myself, hey, how about this? Let me just pretend that I have no name. So there's no idea to defend, no image to protect, etc. What would I say and how would I do? And it's incredibly relaxing. And for people that suffer childhood trauma, many people feel that they don't know who they are anymore because all their life they've been controlled, they've been told what they need to do, and they feel like they're living a false life because they're living somebody else's dream. So to ask yourself this question, what would I do, what would I say, who would I be if I have no name, is a start for you to rediscover who you are. I also really love this quote by Steve Jobs when he gave the commencement speech at Stanford in 2005, and he was suffering from pancreatic cancer at that point. So he's certainly somebody who is familiar with the feeling of death. And he said that, remember that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid a trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. I hope that his advice here is something that resonates with you. It definitely resonated very deeply with me, and I still review his speech from time to time. On commencement speeches, another famous commencement speech that was given the same year was by David Foster Wallace, and he gave this talk at the Kenyan College. And he spoke about the ego and whatever the ego pegs it to could lead to pain. And the famous speech is called This is Water. And here I excerpt a piece that I think is particularly relevant. He said, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It is the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. So his caution here is to be very careful of following societal trend or what you believe society wants you to chase after because all of these things could eventually lead you to pain. Now, the fear of failure's opposite is really the growth mindset. The growth mindset means that instead of seeing any mistakes as I have failed, you see it as hey, I just learned a new way where this doesn't work. So kids apply it to when they're learning how to walk. They walk by learning to get up from stumbles. They learn that you know just because I sat on my bum or I tripped doesn't mean that I can never learn to walk again because if kids thought that way, then no adults can walk today. But somehow as adults, we forgot that part of the learning process is stumbling and that a person who is successful compared to one who isn't is simply that the successful person has stumbled many more times and picked yourself up many more times. So this is why I love the Thomas Edison quote where he says, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work when people were asking him, how does he keep up the motivation to keep experimenting with light bulbs when so many have failed? So he's saying that he sees every single failure as just one additional way that he's learned that it doesn't work so he could try something new. As for your question on I'm, you know, 40s, is it too late? My answer to you is no, it's never too late. And it's never too late to dream a different dream. The reason is simply logic. For any of us, 
yesterday, the past is all history. It's no longer real. We could bring up the past and think about it, but we're thinking about it in the present. So, regardless of two individuals, whatever they've done in the past, all of that is gone for both of them. You may say, okay, this person is more successful, that person is less successful, but it doesn't matter because the past is already the past. Now, tomorrow is not guaranteed for anybody either because tomorrow is also a mental concept, just like the past is a mental concept. Neither is real. You don't know if tomorrow will come or will not come or what form it will come. So, what Anybody ever has is just this very moment, what they call the present. And so this quote says, Today is a gift, that's why it's called the present. So that's a great equalizer because no matter the individual, all everybody ever has is the present. And simultaneously, today is the oldest you've ever been, but it will also be the youngest that you'll ever be looking forward. So, no, it's never ever too late. I hope you find the discussion helpful. And、um, if you're interested in joining Tribe, feel free to check out the link in the show notes. And if you enjoy episodes like this, I do encourage you to like and subscribe. And also, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. As always, if you have questions or suggestions, just leave a comment. I read every single comment, and I just really enjoy hearing from you. Until next time. Have a wonderful week.